You're watching The Sports Objective, the podcast for Pirates. You're watching the Inside Slant on the Sports Objective. Over the next hour, the guys will be joined by play-by-play voices, beat writers, and other analysts from around the nation as they preview this weekend's college football action. Let's hear from you throughout the show via Facebook Live, on our YouTube channel, or on Twitter at the Sports OBJ. Now, here are the guys. It is Thursday night, and welcome into the Sports Objective. You're watching the Inside Slant. We appreciate you tuning in, whether it's on Facebook Live or YouTube. Uh, we'll be talking college football for the next 60 to 90 minutes. Um, we'll kick things off tonight and uh, taking a look at the game uh, within the American uh, that's taking place down in Dallas, Texas this weekend. And that is, of course, Houston visiting SMU. Um, the Cougs are a three-and-a-half-point dog. Uh, so, you know, uh, right now to preview that matchup, we're very excited to welcome back, and we haven't visited with this guy in uh, quite some time. But um, let's go out to Vegas and catch up with our buddy Sam Raz from the Scott and Holman podcast. Sam, we appreciate your time this evening. Yeah, it was great to talk to you, Bubba. No doubts, and uh, you know, man, uh, over the last few weeks, um, what a turnaround it has been for the Cougs. The Cougs were two and three, and you know, on the brink of. Uh, being two and four there at Memphis, and uh, they closed that game with a bang and then have won a couple games since in uh, relatively comfortable fashion uh, to get to five and three, and they're three and one in the American and in a position where they're uh, controlling their destiny. Yeah, it's been kind of a roller coaster. I mean, and you can look at that five and three and look at every game except for uh, the matchup with Kansas in week one and say, you know, you don't have to squint at it too hard to see how U of H could have won those games, but uh, then also it's a, a flip side of that coin. Uh, you could very easily look at uh, all of those games except for uh, the last two uh, against uh, Navy and South Florida and, and very clearly see how uh, a few plays go differently in some of those wins. And uh, the Cougars are looking at uh, three and five, two and six, something uh, something a lot worse than, uh, than the start we've had so far. So, very up and down, but uh, it, it's been it's been good on the old ticker to see uh, some stability. Uh, just to have to have as many uh, close games as we had in the first uh, five six weeks of the season. That crazy comeback against Memphis uh, as well. I, I really at the time we kind of thought you know this game could be just a, a crazy fluky fourth quarter. It could be some kind of turning point for this team. Uh, I don't know if I'm ready to say it's a turning point just yet because the last two opponents weren't the best. But I think a win that's at least somewhat convincing in Dallas this weekend, uh, I think might get me fully on board with that, that this team really has turned a corner the past few weeks, even though I think uh, anyone could acknowledge they've been, they've been playing better the last few weeks, certainly. Yeah. Uh, like you said, the schedule wasn't as challenging as it was early, you know, with the likes of Texas Tech, UTSA, et cetera, but um, definitely playing better football and, um, you know, kind of, you know, we, we knew Tulane was good, um, but, perhaps maybe not how good uh, at that time yeah. of that three-point loss there at TD. Yeah. Same, same for, yeah, same for Kansas uh, a few weeks before that, yeah. Exactly. No doubt um, the Jayhawks, uh, Lance Leipold, and staff uh, really have executed a tremendous turnaround there in Lawrence. But, um, you know, I, I did, I did want to quickly correct something. You know, Houston is very much in a situation like East Carolina where they're uh, – 
where they're um, in a good spot. But um, obviously, with the loss to Tulane, they do have to, uh, you know, receive a little help um, because they lost that head-to-head matchup. But uh, but uh, as you hone in on this matchup with the Mustangs, you know, tell us um, what what your thoughts are on this one. Uh, Rhett Lashley and company, um, they've played better in recent weeks, but they also, um, very much like the Cougs, had a challenging early slate, and uh, they they took TCU. Um, down to the wire and played them very competitively. I believe that game was there in Dallas as well. Yeah, I think uh, I think what I, you know, I look at SMU and I look at what the biggest challenge is going to be. It's uh, and I think this was probably the least surprising challenge for this Cougar team is just uh, the secondary without a couple of guys who are playing pro football right now, losing uh, Marcus Jones and Barry Williams, who are now uh, on the rosters of the. Uh, Patriots and Ravens, respectively. Uh, I think we knew that was going to be a bit of a challenge to replace those guys. I don't think there are a lot of programs out there that can lose two NFL quarterbacks and just replace them without uh, losing a bit, even though there were experienced guys behind them. And this SMU team really likes to throw the ball around. Uh, and I think that's kind of a double-edged sword for them, which I'll get to, but I do think it allows them to exploit U of H's most obvious, most consistent weakness uh, in the season so far, going after a secondary that hasn't really uh, done the best allowing opponents not to pass for a fair amount of yards. Uh, I think it really it has been a struggle, though I will say this won't be the first time the Cougars see a pass-first offense the first two weeks of the season, UTSA and Texas Tech, whatever you think about those two teams, those are two teams tendency-wise uh, that really like to throw the ball, really like to use tempo. So at the very least, it won't be the first time the Cougs see this kind of offense. Won't be the first time seeing Tanner Mordecai. And I think, yes, it is a pass-first offense. But I think why SMU has struggled a bit more relative to what they did last year is that they can't really get that balance. They haven't really been able to, you know, mix up the pass and the run. And when you know they face maybe a better pass defense than the Cougars could offer, it's kind of been it's been a tough thing for their offense to overcome. So. It won't be the first time the Cougars see this kind of offense, but they haven't yet proven to me that they can slow down uh, a pretty good passing attack, which I think at the very least uh, least describes the ponies. Uh, on the other side of the ball, though, I do think that the uh, that the Cougars, especially given what we've seen the last few weeks against uh, varying degrees of not very good defense, I think the Cougs can't expect to move the ball in Dallas. I think it's going to come down to on Saturday night uh, just – who has one or two more empty possessions in what I think should be a pretty high-scoring game. Yeah, I agree. I think I saw that the over-under in this matchup is, what, the upper 60s pushing 70. And the football will will certainly be flying. uh, A lot of passing uh, this weekend. Uh, So, speaking of throwing the football tremendously well – you knew that was going to be the case for the Cougs coming into the season with Clayton Toon coming back. Uh, I saw um, as of now he has 21 touchdowns to just four interceptions. Yeah, and I think that was maybe the most frustrating thing about the first four or five weeks of the season. It's not that nothing went right uh, offensively. That there were there were moments in there, though I think uh, some of the early stats were skewed a bit by uh, the number of overtimes that were getting played. But I, I, I think – that's been a really encouraging part of the past few weeks to see Clayton Tune finally look like the fifth-year quarterback we expected. And I think kind of vindicating that, I think my co-host and I, as we tried to assess the first four or five weeks of the season when things were really going well, it was kind of frustrating because 
it felt more like rather than Clayton Tune not playing well, it was the offense not putting Clayton Tune in position to, you know, captain this offense as best as he could. I think he's really shown off uh, his ability just in the mid-range pass game to, I think, um, really has gotten maybe some happy feet that he had earlier in uh, his career under control. And I think showing off that an arm that I think we've always known is a plus arm. We've always known that the guy can pitch the ball around the yard. It's just a matter of this offense, giving him, giving him the right throws, giving him, yeah, I think, uh, giving him a fair chance to succeed. It felt like at times early in the season, there was just nothing between uh, the dump off and deep shots. And I think for a guy with as much arm talent as Clayton too, you got to give him a little bit more. And I think maybe it's just, uh, maybe it's just things are working better. And it's just my perception. Nothing really has changed offensively as dramatically as I'm uh, making it sound. But uh, yeah, I think that's been, that's been the most encouraging thing. And really uh, around Clayton tune that he's gotten good protection that uh, I think that was maybe the biggest surprise is that for the flaws of the last three weeks opponents, that I think that he's gotten as good protections. He's gotten the last few weeks. That, that was the thing that really stuck out to us that, Hey, maybe they've, figured something out offensively. This wasn't just Clayton Toon running for his life and, you know, making stuff happen against some not great defenses. This was Clayton Toon having good pockets, having a lot of time to throw. And I think it's in the last three weeks, uh, the Cougar offensive line has allowed one sack. uh, And that one sack was uh, uh, against Navy actually ended up being a sack fumble for a touchdown where I think it was pretty clear that Toon held onto the ball too long. So as great as Toon has been, as much as that, you know, it has me feeling better about the fortunes of this team. Uh, I think, um, I think the more encouraging thing is what's happening around him. Sam, sorry to be late for the show. Uh, I had my all, good, all good, Dave. All good. Great to talk to you. Great to see you again. Uh, as far as uh, one of the things that uh, we're at East Carolina and you guys have a veteran quarterback, uh, I know that he uh, just joining the show, but you were talking about Clayton Toon. But uh, as far as the, I guess the, this team and the program going to the Big 12, um, it's got to help having a guy like him that it's uh, same thing with Holden Aylers, East Carolina. Uh, opponents feel like they've been there like 10 years. Yeah, and I think I'm going to, um, you know, it's one of those, obviously uh, he's run out of roadway for eligibility this season. This will be his last uh, in the collegiate game. That And that's one of those I wish uh, I wish we could have gotten a year of uh, Clayton Tune against uh, Big 12 defenses. And I think that's that's actually kind of one of the biggest questions long term is what's going to be life after Clayton too, because he has been safe for four games of Derek King at the start of the 2019 season. He's pretty much been the quarterback and, the you know, the quarterback that this coach has said, yeah, we're building around this guy in the long and short term. So I think it's it's been good kind of adding on to what I said earlier. It's been good to see, I think, some of the, you know our opinions that. Clayton Toon wasn't the problem here. Clayton Toon wasn't what was holding this team back necessarily. I think be vindicated by the team playing better around him and him, uh, him. I think getting a chance to show that he is still a good quarterback and he is not maybe to blame for some of the early struggles this team had this year. No doubt, and it comes down to a lot of times with the with this team with East Carolina with Houston. Another one. It comes down to I guess buying in to the coaches and. Um, and a lot of times the quarterback gets too much credit, as you hear, and too much blame. And I think it's a situation with Holden Aylers, who, yep. you know, it's funny 
those people last year, Sam, that were saying with Holton that uh, the only reason why he was starting is because his dad was a PA announcer. Was know, it local those, politics. Yeah. Where, where are those people now? You know? Um, but yeah, exactly. And the same thing with Amatoon is like uh, these guys, they have experience. Uh, you're going to put your best guy out there. You know, if, uh, if Holton Aylers were not the best, then they're going to not have him playing. Um, the, he gave us the best chance to win. As far as Houston goes, though, with the remaining games left, um, not to look ahead, but that's what we do. <laughs> uh, exactly. We're not the coaches or players. How do you yep. feel for – you always hear the term, as what my late great baseball coach said, finish strong. How do you feel about the Cougs the rest of the way? Seems it's definitely playing better. I think someone in a recent interview, I think the last couple of days, asked me if I could look at my crystal ball and – predict the most likely record of the last four regular season games. I think I would probably say three and one uh, with, uh, I, with the loss coming either uh, Saturday night in Dallas or uh, a couple Saturdays after that uh, in Greenville, just because I'm not sure. I think this team has gotten some of their offensive issues figured out. I think there's some defensive issues that are just kind of terminal. It's kind of personnel. Just you didn't, unfortunately, have, you didn't have a future NFL cornerback waiting in the wings when uh, when Marcus Jones and uh, Demarion Williams graduated. And that, that's fine. That's a lot of pro, yeah, a lot of programs out there. But uh, losing Derek Parrish too, he had just an absolutely fantastic start to the season. Uh, four sacks in Week Two against Texas Tech. I think that hurts. Although the Cougars have a couple of really promising pass rushers uh, in DeAnthony Jones and uh, Nelson Caesar. So I think. Yeah, I think this team is good enough uh, not to lose both of the tough road games. And there were there were three roadies that I really had circled in conference play uh, at Memphis, uh, which ended up being that crazy nineteen point fourth quarter comeback a few weeks ago, and uh, the Saturday against SMU in the uh, uh, second to last game of the season uh, at East Carolina. I think those were the three in conference play. You know that that I looked at is the, the biggest challenges. Maybe maybe I should have uh, looked a little harder at the Tulane Green Wave because they're they're having quite the year. Uh, this year, but you know, I, I said to myself, we could somehow go three and zero, regardless of what happens the rest of the year. We somehow go three and zero in those games. I feel decent about the team putting itself in position to be in the conference championship game. So I feel like the team is playing some of its best football. I feel like I think they never lost confidence as much as the fan base did, but I don't know if I'm as fully bought in that this group is uh, is good enough to turn the table against. Uh, you know, I think. I, I, at, the, at the risk of giving Tulsa and Temple of Baltimore material, I don't think those will be too much of a problem at home close out the season. But I think uh, ECU and SMU, especially how both those games went last year, ECU uh, losing a really close one in overtime uh, at TDCU last year and um, SMU losing on the Marcus Jones kick return last year. I know every every team talks about one game at a time and yada, yada, yada. But uh, I know mentally those returning guys have had those games on both SMU and ECU have had that game circled for a good long while. So I will be, I will be I'm not saying it's impossible. I'll be pleasantly surprised if we could go two and zero in those two road games. Well, the East Carolina we should win this week is a bye week, so we should win that. No I'm kidding. Uh, but then we have uh, at Cincinnati, we have you guys home, and then at Temple. So you know, I I feel like with the with the three that are left for East Carolina. Uh, you're right. I think the great thing is you feel pretty good about Temple. And then Cincinnati and Houston is going to – I think it's – especially Cincinnati, you guys uh, have played a lot better. Uh, but both of those games is going to be a really tight uh, tight game for both. 
And that's why I try to tell East Carolina fans, we went from being the joke of uh, FBS under Scotty Montgomery to now where we're getting uh, top 25 votes. I mean, that's yeah. four years time, you know? So, um, and then, like you said, that rain del- was a lightning delay and uh, yep. overtime. I mean, we were fighting. Both teams uh, could have won that game, you know, and Houston made the play uh, that we didn't, you know. So it, it came down to to that. So um, welcome back, Bubba Rosenbaum. I know that uh, one of these days we'll have cell phone service uh, where it's <laughs> a lot more, uh, a lot better. But, uh, Sam, as far as uh, – while we got you on here too, let's talk about uh, basketball too. Uh, getting around, how are things looking for you guys? I know that uh, we're going to miss you guys, an American. I know people say, "Yeah, right, Dave," but I love college basketball. So, in order to be the man, you got to beat the man, as Ric Flair said one time uh, years ago. And uh, it's great to have programs like Houston and the American, as far as basketball is concerned, also. Yeah, I think I think we're pretty excited. It was uh, it was I think a very pleasant surprise last season that the team made the run that they made without Marcus Sasser and Tremont Markle. I think that was somewhat of a testament to uh, a trio of one-year guys that uh, the program brought in that are all graduated now, Tajay Moore, Kyler Edwards, and um, uh, Josh Carlton. And th- th- those guys gave you that kind of experience. I thought that was it was really helpful for that team. But uh, bringing back Marcus Sasser, which I don't think uh, uh, me or my co-host uh, thought was a given when he went out for the season, we kind of thought, okay, he's going to – get probably a second round draft grade and is going to take a, a guaranteed spot in the NBA roster next year. And that'll be all she wrote for a very good college career. And I was kind of wondering the what if of uh, what an upper class and Marcus Sasser against uh, college basketball look like, but uh, I think happily uh, he was coming back for his senior year and bringing him back, uh, bringing him back with uh, Jamal shed who in uh, Sasser's absence last year really established himself as that kind of bulldog point guard, the tip of the spear defensively, the distributor offensively, a guy in the mold of uh, some of the uh, Cougar guards of recent past, like Dejan Giroux, uh, Galen Robinson, Rob Gray, Corey Davis Jr., really tough blue-collar guys. He wasn't a huge recruit out of high school. I think it was a, was a three-star out of the Austin area. And to add that to uh, the biggest recruiting program in history, Jarris Walker, who was uh, McDonald's All-American at the IMG Academy, and uh, Terrence Arsenal, who was one of the two or three best prospects in Texas that, that I've gotten this uh, long into talking about the general outlook of this Cougar team. And I didn't mention the number 37 recruit in the uh, most recent class. So I think should tell you how deep this team is. And so I think Samson's done a good job in the non-conference mixing up, uh, you know, there's a number of games where U of A should win by a pretty comfortable margin, but I think some good tests in there, uh, Oregon in a few weeks in Eugene, uh, Virginia and Charlottesville, as well as hosting, Alabama and getting uh, St. Mary's up in uh, Fort Worth for a uh, semi-neutral site game, though I'd imagine the the Cougar fans will outnumber the Gales by a decent margin there. So it's I would say even given some of the lofty standards that some recent Cougar basketball teams have had, I would say that's the uh, that's the team this team coming into the year that has the highest expectations since Samson's been here. And that's that's saying a lot because there's been a a lot of good basketball teams and several years of pretty high expectations in the program. Now, Sam, under Joe Dooley, East Carolina, you know, this part of the season, you know, leading into the season, I should say, um, the Pirates always went with the close scrimmage route as opposed to the exhibition games against Division II competition. Has 
I don't know what's happening there. I think he was going to ask you about uh, the close scrimmage with Duke. Yeah, so we we heard it was a 61-50 win. Uh, nobody from Duke has uh, contradicted that. I have it on good authority that uh, Samson's been really trying to get Duke on the schedule. Has even been willing to do a neutral site game, uh, uh, neutral neutral site uh, that friendly to the Dukies, and uh, was told basically uh, Durham or nothing on that one. So I guess it settled for the uh, for the scrimmage there uh, in Houston. So. Encouraging, though I heard their two promising freshmen didn't play there, and uh, the Cougs apparently, though uh, scrimmage details are a bit light, apparently uh, beat the Longhorns in another closed scrimmage uh, in San Antonio, Texas. So uh, I'm not I'm not terribly surprised, given given the upperclassmen uh, just proven in this group, and given uh, given the talent that's coming in, that uh, that these teams look pretty good. Samson, generally this time of year, I remember actually. The, uh, the first really good team he had, the team in 2019 that went to the Sweet 16 and lost to Kentucky, I remember his first media availability. He was sour about that team. He was talking about how we had, we've only had a handful of good practices and you know t- talked about uh, you know, losing the veteran leadership off the previous team that had gone to the round of 32, and, and that team ended up uh, winning 30-something games and, uh, and going to the Sweet 16. And I think today at media availability, everyone was noting how, how much more relaxed he seemed. Uh, as compared to this time this year, so uh, reading the tea leaves there, I think I think Samson's pretty confident in the group he, he's had. He's had a lot of good things to say about the combination of you know talent and buy-in and veteran leadership, what have you. So, yeah, not certainly not a, a guy who's uh, gonna get too wild about preseason expectations, but uh, he certainly also hasn't done anything to tamp them down as well. All right, Sam. Well, I appreciate you very much as always, the Scott and Holman podcast. And tell everybody where, before we let you go, where people can hear your work. And thanks for being with us for, I think it's been three years now you've been with us, at least that. Yeah. Always great to talk to y'all. We are on Twitter at SHPAWDCast. That's our most uh, active social media platform. You can also find us uh, on any podcast uh, platform, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, uh, Art19. I'm I'm reading off the list, but we are the Scott and Holman podcast, uh, PAWD. Uh, cast. We're talking everything Houston Cougars over there. The uh, always exciting, uh, not always excellent, but uh, never not interesting world of uh, Houston Cougar sports. All right. Good luck to you guys the rest of the season. Hopefully we'll talk to you again in a few weeks. Absolutely. Thanks, Dawson. Okay, All right. Bye. All right. Sam Raz, Eric Scott, and Holman podcast. And with us right now is Damien Sordelette. In fact, I know for the Liberty beat writer, big game, Liberty going to Arkansas. Damien, welcome back to the show. I yeah, appreciate you guys having me back on. Uh, it's been a couple of years since I've uh, been on with you guys. Yeah, it's hard to believe. Uh, appreciate your uh, appreciate your time. I know that one great thing is, uh, man, you guys have uh, really, really hit a home run with, uh, we'll start out of the gate with Hugh Freeze. And uh, what can you tell us, by the way, uh, we were talking uh, off the air. Obviously, we have a group text and with the guys here on the show. Uh, what can you tell us uh, first off with the new contract? Is it up to, did I read that right up to $5 million? Is that right? Or is that with incentives, I guess? Yeah. So it's the average of the contract per year will be a little under 5 mil per year. So it's going to be eight years and a little less than 40 million. And that's all fully guaranteed. Um, wow. I think that's just standard baseline. Um, 
you know, for Liberty's level, you don't need incentives or anything added to that, but I'm sure that those are included in it as well. But um, it, it was a deal that Liberty wanted to make because with going to Conference USA next year and you see Houston and Cincinnati moving to the Big 12, Liberty's now going to have the highest paid group of five head coach, the highest paid group of five staff, and in terms of resources and everything and commitment, uh, it'll be the highest amount uh, being funneled into a football program at the group of five level because Liberty wants to be that group of five team in the college football playoff, whether it's the New Year's Six Bowl in 2023 or an expanded college football playoff, whether that be 24, 25, or even get down to 26 when the new media rights deal is secured. So uh, they wanted to make an investment. Uh, they also knew Auburn was likely coming open. Oh, yeah. They wanted to make sure, uh, you know, make it to where it would have to take a one heck of an offer to get him to move or change ad addresses from uh, his current one in Lynchburg down to the Plains uh, down there in Alabama. So um, I think right now they're pretty confident that he's going to stay in the fold uh, throughout this silly season of the coaching cycle. We'll talk about the uh, – can you talk about the buyout and then we'll talk about the game. I know that you've been patiently waiting in the Greenwood, but uh, let's let's talk about uh, that. Do you know the buyout for the contract with uh, Freeze? I hadn't seen anything in uh, writing yet. I know Football Scoop had it around $3 million, which I thought was uncharacteristically low because most buyouts are between, okay. I think, 30 to 50% of the value of the contract. That's so. You would think it would be in between the 10 to $20 million range, which uh, would set Liberty up really well uh, down the line, uh, especially when, you know, having to bring in, an, if they had to bring in a new coach. Um, honestly, if it's in the 10 to $20 million range, that's something that, you know, SEC teams will be able to, to pay without, a, without blinking an eye. Um, but again, it's, it's a substantial buyout. And I think, you know, if uh, Freeze wouldn't have to pay it, it would be the school hiring him would have to pay it. So uh, Liberty wants to make sure it's going to be in a financial situation where it can turn around cash uh, that comes from whoever hires Freeze and be able to invest in a new coach, new staff, and uh, try not to miss a beat. And I'm glad that they, they, uh, they have Freeze. I think Freeze has uh, done an excellent job. And, you know, when you have a coach like him that's a, a great recruiter, you have the resources, the commitment – uh, the Liberty has is, uh, is awesome. Let's talk about, uh, obviously, with the game, uh, Liberty at Arkansas. Liberty's had a great year. Uh, Arkansas, man, uh, what a great turnaround they've done there. What what can you tell us about the game, and what are you looking for with this matchup? Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what Liberty's defense can do against uh, Arkansas's offense. Uh, the numbers for Liberty uh, in the – I guess the highlight reel category in terms of sacks, tackles for loss, and creating takeaways are really high in the nation. Top five in all three categories. I believe third in sacks, fourth in tackles for losses. And I think takeaways, they were still, I think, third or fourth last I checked. Um, so they're able to do that very well. But an underrated aspect of what Liberty has been able to do well um, since the end of the first quarter against UAB has been stopping the run. Um if you go back and look through like, the first game against 
Southern Miss, which went to four overtimes. And then the first quarter against UAB, they allowed 412 rushing yards. That's given up about 80 yards on the ground per quarter. And you guys know that you can't sustain that if teams are able to eat up that much on the ground per game. But since then, Liberty's only allowed, I think it was like 512 rushing yards or 500 some low 500s over the last 27 quarters. And they've held, you know, four of the last six opponents under 100 yards. So the run defense has been really good. And why I bring that up is Arkansas is one of the nation's best rushing teams. They've had a 100-yard rusher in every game so far this season, whether it's Raheem Sanders or K.J. Jefferson or, you know, another tailback. They've been able to run the ball. Um, so Liberty's going to have to find a way to stop the run because if you can stop the run, get them, you know, behind schedule and then, you know, force them into some three and outs or, and get off the field, that's going to help Liberty out tremendously. And that's kind of the area you want to see because Liberty's done a good job on first and second down this year. And they've done an actually really good job on third downs uh, this season. But there have been some instances over the last few weeks where given up some third and longs, like a third and 17, you've given up a third and 22. Um, the, one of the two touchdowns BYU scored came on third and 13, I believe. So got to limit those and get off the field in those situations. And that will give Liberty the best chance to uh, score what I think is going to be considered an upset win because Arkansas is, I think, trending towards like a 15-point favorite now uh, here as you know we get closer to the game day. Yeah, Damian, although the, the Flames are not ranked in the college football playoff poll, I know they're ranked 23rd in at least one, if not both, polls. Um, but as you mentioned, uh, they are a sizable underdog in this one. I think uh, last time I checked, it was around 13 or 13 and a half. And uh, my biggest question is kind of what you've referenced. I mean, how will the Flames be able to hold up in the trenches against a uh, SEC team like like Arkansas, uh, was it last year that they went to Ole Miss? That's correct. Last year they went to Ole Miss and actually held their own. If you know, Ole Miss didn't, uh, aside from taking advantage of a couple turnovers early and then, you know, and getting out to a two touchdown lead, you know, Liberty didn't really let them pull away. In fact, if Liberty had actually converted late in the first half with a touchdown, went to halftime with some momentum but the way they made adjustments in the second half could have actually made it a game. Um, so under freeze, you can see that they're inching closer to playing these SEC teams a lot better um, and also throw in the ACC teams as well. Um, you know, they're making gains on how they play these power conference opponents. I mean, take, for instance, Wake Forest back in week three uh, came down to not being able to convert a two-point conversion that would have given them the lead. Um, so Liberty's proven it can play with these teams. And, uh, you know, that's something that if you go back to 2018, the first year at the FBS level, you know, they hung around with Virginia for most of the game until going forward on fourth down inside your own 20 and then not converting and, you know, Virginia being able to turn that around and have an avalanche of points to put that thing away. And the next week you get blown out and shut out at Auburn. Um, so, you can see just how much they've improved over the next um, 
over the next four years. So a lot of that credit goes to freeze and plus recruiting and the fact that they've improved considerably on defense um, because when you're moving up from FCS to FBS, you got to improve on defense, especially defensive line. And that's where we see with the rushing stats, how well they've been able to stop the run is because they have, you know, good nine, 10 man rotation up front. And that has come through recruiting and being able to identify players who can come in and be able to hold up in there and make plays against what are bigger and more physical offensive linemen. The uh, other thing that I had for you, Damien, kind of moving away from this game against Arkansas is I know in uh, the last several weeks uh, you've seen games, I guess maybe even going back into the summer, but you've seen games uh, on future schedules against the likes of North Carolina, et cetera, that have been uh, canceled. So, you know, what can you tell us there as far as you know, Liberty's philosophy moving forward and, and trying to fill in those slots where they uh, lost games against some uh, prominent opponents. Yeah, uh, for that, it was a matter of they needed to get rid of games moving to Conference USA. You had to get rid of eight games per season, essentially. Um, and those power conference series, uh, you referenced uh, North Carolina three-game series, Duke a three-game series, um, four more game, four games left in a series with Virginia, and then the final two games of Wake Forest all got canceled. And most notably in those, Liberty lost home games uh, through those. A grand total, I believe, of five home games, two against Virginia, one each against North Carolina, Duke, and in, in, uh, Wake Forest, um, because those Power 5 teams see more value in now being able to host on those weekends versus having to go on the road and losing out on you know, television revenue, um, ticket revenue, um, you know, concession sales, all that sort of thing, uh, that played in played a factor into it. Uh, so Liberty's been trying to get, or I guess piecemeal your four non-league games starting in 23 on. And so that's going to be a lot of power five teams moving, uh, sorry, a lot of group of five teams moving forward. So your uh, Coastal Carolinas, your Marshalls, your App States, uh, even James Madison in the 2030s. Um, then you get you know your FCS opponent every year. So that right now is where Liberty's going. And then they're hoping to get some power fives on the schedule because the next one after this season that's on the schedule is 2027. Uh, when they play the final six game, final four games of a six game series against Virginia Tech. So, um, you know, honestly, they'd like to play one power five, two G fives and an FCS every year in addition to uh their Conference USA schedule, they want to keep all those regional, which, you know, honestly, we've, we beat this drum a couple of years ago when we last talked about Liberty and East Carolina meeting on the gridiron because it would just be a natural fit uh, just because you reduce travel for both programs, um, especially if East Carolina wants to come up to Lynchburg. It's not a bad drive from Greenville. Uh, I know the drive from Lynchburg to Greenville isn't bad either. So kind of hoping that happens because that would be an attractive game for Liberty on the non-conference. And, you know, with the way things are playing out, could play them in the Independence Bowl if Army doesn't become bowl eligible and uh, the dominoes fall right and Liberty takes that slot to play an AAC team. Yeah, that's an excellent point. Uh, that's something our co-host Kyle Barber, uh, who was unable to join us tonight, um, that's what he was mentioning earlier. And, uh, yeah, that would be a, be a heck of a matchup down in Shreveport. 
Yeah, it would. Um, and, um, you know, because Army's in an unusual situation. Um, they technically have two wins toward bowl eligibility, even though being three and four, because they have two wins over FCS teams. And you got to get to that seven win overall mark before bowl selection show, because the Army Navy game is six days after that. So you need to be bowl eligible going into that. You know, it's going to be tough for them with Air Force and Troy back-to-back weeks before you get UConn and UMass. Uh, so, you know, that's part of the things of keeping up with these bowl projections is you got to see how every everyone else is playing out. Um, and, you know, that will be interesting. I know Liberty uh, right now with its secondary tie-in needs to have fewer team needs to have less than 82 bowl eligible teams in order to be assured a spot. So um, you kind of wish army was in there because uh, you know, getting to see a service Academy in a bowl game is always a good thing, but for Liberty, you know, you want to make sure there's not enough. So that way you can find yourself to get in. Damien, um, you know, before we, before we let you go, we you know appreciate your time tonight. Uh, tell folks how they can read your work and with the news advance, and then uh, you know anything else you may be involved in from a podcast standpoint or anything like that. Yeah, uh, I don't have any uh, podcast anymore. Uh, that was a one season, and it was a lot to handle for just one person here at the staff. But uh, you, know, you can find me uh, at on Twitter at Damien Sordelet, D A M I E N S O R D E L E T T. Uh, all my work is going to be at newsadvance.com, um, you know, from, you know, features, uh, game day articles, that sort of thing throughout the week. Uh, try to keep everyone as informed as possible uh, throughout the week. And, um, you know, looking forward to making the trip to Fayetteville tomorrow, uh, though my flight's supposed to land as that um, ugly um, system is moving through this, the that part of the mid mid-south the area through texas and everything so i'm hoping i'm on the back end of those thunderstorms uh in the fayetteville area supposed to arrive tomorrow evening so hopefully i miss those and uh look forward to saturday's game out there safe travels good luck to uh liberty the rest of the way and uh thanks for coming on we'll have you back on again real soon absolutely guys thank you dave thank you bubba here see you damien good night yeah all right damien sort of let there to liberty beat writer let's bring in now one of our favorites, play-by-play voice of the Wake Forest, Demon Dinkins, Stan Cotton. Stan, good to see you again. Thanks for your patience in the green room tonight. Hey, no problem. This time of year, man, we're all going crazy, right? The uh, we we call it in our house the uh, the dreaded football basketball overlaps. So I, I've got I've got basketball notes, football notes. I got the uh, the app coastal game on. Uh, you name it, it's all going on. But uh, thanks for the ask. And appreciate a few minutes talking about Wake tonight. No doubt about it. This is a game that, uh, uh, for people that don't know, it's a back of road. Wake Forest used to be in Wake Forest, North Carolina. So the rivalry goes way, way back. You would know the exact amount of years I don't off the top of my head, but it's a long, long time. And with NC State uh, and Raleigh, and you have Wake Forest, where it was in Wake Forest, moves to Winston-Salem. But still, that uh, drive is not bad between Raleigh and Winston-Salem down to back of road, my friend. No, I mean, these two have been playing. This is the second longest running rivalry in college football. Well, FBS, they've been playing every year since 1910. Wow. Uh, And they first met in the late 1890s. So, yeah, it's a, they played 116 times. 
And uh, it's, you know, it's one of those games that that certainly I think the Wake Forest fan base looks forward to every year. Uh, you know, going back to the Big Four days, you know, the Big Four doesn't get as much attention anymore. I think it does probably within the four programs, Wake, State, Carolina, and Duke, maybe not so much outside of that. But it, it certainly does mean a lot to Wake Forest. Anytime they play one of the other big four schools, uh, they make a big deal about it. They really do. Coach Clawson today was uh, after practice talking about it. And uh, I spent some time with him today uh, and also on his radio show last night, we talked about it. So uh, yeah, it's a big deal. It's been, been th- this game has been played for a long time and uh, we look forward to another one Saturday by, by all indications, it's going to be another good one. You bring up the big four. I'd heard some rumors that they were talking about uh, because of content, you know, with ESPN or the networks to, bring something back. They may not call it the big four. Is that true? Like a preseason tournament? I'd heard something about that several months you know, ago. I, there's certainly nothing, you know, right now definitive about anything. I've heard kind of like you, some, some rumors. Um, I, I'd be shocked if that happened. I wish it, I wish it would happen because you know what now with the ACC uh, changing its scheduling and all types of stuff, uh, you know, Wake and state aren't going to play every year anymore in football. And, and that's, that's a sad thing. Uh, you know, Wake's had to result to, uh, uh, you know, play in North Carolina in football a couple of times as non-conference games because of the schedule. So, I, you know, the fan base is like playing one another. So, I, you know, it's it's just, I, I you know, it's the way it is these days. And it's it's that's the way it's going to be going forward. Uh, we're not going back to uh, uh, our grandfather's ACC, that's for sure. Unfortunately not, but I, I grew up uh, in Durham, so uh, the heart of the ACC for sure, and uh, something we'll look for. We'll have you back on basketball season to talk about the ACC tournament. Happy that it's in Greensboro. I'm, I'm biased where I think it should um, belong forever, but that's a whole other show, as they say. Let's talk about – I know you've uh, carved out some time for Let's talk about the, the game itself with NC State and uh, with Wake Forest. The Battle of the Daves, I call it. Um, between Dave Claus and Dave Torin, but what what do you uh, what do you see with this matchup? You, uh, both teams, really good teams, uh, great conference, great rivalry, great coaching. I mean, there's a lot of great that you could say about this game. Yeah, and, and both coaches, I think, really respect one another. They have similar backgrounds. You know, Dave Dorn and Dave Clawson, uh, they're 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 good friends, and and. Uh, I, you know, state, uh, always has great athletes. Uh, that that's number one. I think that's kind of the, you know, the foundation when you start looking at NC state, they just have athletes, you know, if they can get those guys corralled, man, uh, they're, they're going to be tough to beat defensively. They're a problem. You know, they're statistically right up there at the top of the league in a lot of different categories. And, uh, you know, offensively, uh, you know, losing your quarterback and, and Wake knows all about that, you know, with Sam Hartman, not, you know, playing in the first game, although Mitch Griffiths came in and played very, very well, started and won, won a game against VMI, which you would expect him to. But, uh, you know, the the Morris kid comes in against Virginia Tech and, uh, you know, I think they'll they'll go with him. And he's he, he showed why he, you know, he's on scholarship. He's he's a pretty good player. So, I, you know, State's got enough weapons on offense to to uh absorb losing any one player probably although again the quarterback's not the one you want to lose but uh they just have you know athletes all over the all over the field so uh but defensively is where they you know really concern you in the kicking game they're they're 
they're so solid there. Um, you know, Wake, I think, is pretty balanced, although offensively, you know, they, they're they scoring a lot of points. Uh, had a tough game against Louisville last week, obviously a third quarter that was uh, – yeah, I've been doing this a long time, Dave. I, I, that third quarter last week uh, in Louisville was was crazy. I hadn't seen anything quite like that. But, um, but Wake – Week in and week out, been averaging you know right around forty points, and their defense has has turned it up a notch, I think, over last year. And so they've been good enough to win more than they've lost. Both teams come in at six and two, uh, ranked about the you know right there twenty twenty one. They're they're neck and neck there, uh, and I think I don't know the last four or five games they've been within six points of one another, uh, and and I think all things point probably to another. Uh, tight game on on Saturday night. It's in Raleigh. Obviously, it's a sellout. It's a late start, eight o'clock. I'm sure the uh, the pack fans will be uh, uh, ready to go. Uh, so I think it should be a, another really good football game in this uh, long running rivalry. Now, Stan, not to dwell too much on what happened at Louisville, but since you referenced that third quarter, you know it's crazy. I've I've been talking to uh, a lot of friends, you know, who follow it closely and. I said, just to have six possessions in a quarter is crazy, much less to turn it over six yeah. times. So was that just uh, – I did see a highlight or two, but uh, I know just was it a matter of it being pick sixes um, so so much that Wake Forest was able to have that many possessions? Yeah, when you give it to the other team and they take it back twice, you know, it doesn't take long to get you know your, your you know, third possession, right? Uh, so it was just – you know, everything that could have happened uh, happened uh, negatively uh, for Wake Forest in that quarter. I mean, I gave up 35 points, uh, gave the ball over six times. Wake had only had five turnovers for the whole season going into the game, uh, and they had six in that one quarter. You know, you're not going to beat uh, anybody uh, at any level uh, when that happens. That You know, you really have to credit Louisville, quite honestly, Matt. Louisville from the jump now, guys, they, they brought the juice. They were – uh, you know, Wake did not match that intensity in the first quarter and, and fell behind. Now, to Wake's credit, kind of got uh, got things settled and, and the offense kind of got into a rhythm, scored a couple of touchdowns and, and led at halftime 14-13. I, I really felt pretty good about it at at, uh, at halftime. You know, I was feeling awful at the end of the first quarter. Uh, you know, Louisville, uh, even though it had a couple of drives, it stalled and they had to settle for field goals. Uh, they did add a touchdown. I thought, oh, you know, this, I don't know, this doesn't feel very good. And then again, Wake turned it around and had the one point lead at halftime and had the ball to start the third quarter. And then, bam, the dam broke. And, and you know, over the course of the next 15 minutes, the ball game is over. So, uh, and I asked Coach Clawson about that in our postgame show about how he felt at halftime. I said, you know, you, you had to feel pretty good, didn't you, Dave? I mean, you, you hadn't played well in the first quarter. Uh, but you kind of got off the deck and, and and had a lead at halftime. He said, "Yeah, we led, but uh, you know, he he didn't feel real real good about the way things were trending there uh, at Louisville." And then, bam! There's the third quarter, and the game was over. But uh, you know, it's just one of those. If you do this long enough, uh, as as I have, if you coach long enough, I mean, you're going to see something like that uh, maybe once or twice. Uh, that bad in your lifetime, and I hope that's it for Wake. I mean, I, I can't imagine anything going any worse than that third quarter. So hopefully, all of that's behind Wake now, and you know, because they got some huge games coming up with with you know State and Carolina, 
good Syracuse team coming to Winston-Salem and Wake will end the season at Duke. So, um, yeah, the, the, we were talking about the big four. Well, those three games are all in the next few weeks and then Syracuse on top of that. So we'll see how it all shakes out. Yeah, Stan, you referenced the game with the Tar Heels on last year. You know, what a what a shootout that was in Chapel Hill. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what the over-under is in that one. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, Carolina kid, you know, May at quarterback, my goodness, uh, what, what kind of year is he having? And uh, so when those two get together, you know, you, you would think high scoring. Um, but, but it, you know, at Wake, if, if they find out I'm talking about the Carolina game, I'll get in trouble. <laughs> Everybody's on the uh, one week at a time deal. And uh, oh. even I can sneak away from that. Uh, uh, but yeah, I, I always like playing Carolina. I think it's another great rivalry. I think I know Wake's fan base r- really enjoys it. You would expect, you know, Wake's fan base to enjoy that, that kind of a matchup. And, um, you know, the Tar Heels are world coach. They've got great athletes. They're a lot like state, you know, they, they really are uh, in terms of just, uh, how many good players they have. Uh, and so I think in a lot of ways, Carolina's like state, if they can get them corralled, they're going to be tough to beat. Um, but sometimes that's, that's, that's easier, you know, said than done. Um, but when, when the Tar Heels are kind of clicking and, and the Wolfpack's clicking, they're tough now. They're, they're, they're really tough to beat. Dave Doran and, uh, you know, Mac, they've, they've, they've done a great job uh, with those programs and, and uh, I, you know, I'm excited for Coach Elko at, at Duke as well. You know, Mike was here uh, and has a history with with Dave Clawson, as as you guys know. And and uh, Mike Elko is a great guy, and uh, I think he he is getting it done at Duke. And I think long term, uh, he'll be really really good for them. No doubt about it. I had one more question for you, as we know that you've uh, generous with your time and basketball and football prep as we're talking. You guys amaze me. I'm a play by play nerd, but. Uh, <laughs> Wanted to ask you as far as I know that uh, where you went to school, Bo, just me in Tennessee, what do you think about, I know it's a non-Wake Forest question, but before we let you go, what in the world, I know that uh, I'm really happy for volunteer fans, a great program, great university. Just want to get your take before we get out of here. Well, I'm excited for Tennessee. I mean, I, I'm a Knoxville native, a proud East Tennessean, a Tennessee grad. My wife has two degrees from the University of Tennessee. And, uh, you know, we're we're not bashful about being volunteers um, and I'm excited for them. I, I think they, they finally have the right coach um, and Josh Heupel, obviously. I mean, you don't get to number one in the country if you're not doing things absolutely uh, almost perfectly. He's got a, uh, you know, the hooker kid, at quarterback is is a special kind of player. He could easily win the Heisman Trophy. And, you know, uh, Tennessee's kind of team that, you know, if they can hang on and get into that, that, that final four, the playoff, you know, they can win it, I think as easily as anybody else. So um, good for Tennessee, you know, they, Tennessee needs to be good uh, in, in football. And it, it's, it's been fun to watch those games after I get home from weight games. A lot of times I'll watch the Tennessee games on a Sunday morning early with a pot of coffee and, and uh, watch a Rocky top get crazy. So I'm happy for Tennessee. And uh, anytime the, the orange does well, I feel pretty good about that. No doubt. And Stan, before we let you go, how can people follow your work, enjoy your broadcast? And uh, it's great to have like satellite radio like I do, where I can listen to you guys that way. And I know there's others way, other ways as well. One of the the best ways to listen to Wake and, and almost it's every Learfield school. It's called the Varsity app. You just download Varsity app. 
and you can, you know, you can pick your favorite schools. Hopefully Wake is one of those and you can listen to everything we do. The games, our, our coaches shows are archived on that. Um, and you can listen to us anywhere in the world. I, a couple of years ago, uh, got a tweet during a basketball timeout, I checked my phone and a guy was listening to us from Rwanda and was tweeting about it. So, you know, if you can listen to Wake in, in, in Africa on the app. So Wake Forest Game Day app is another one, the Varsity app, um, SiriusXM, uh, online at godeeks.com uh, backslash watch. A lot of different ways to get the Deeks. So there's, there aren't any excuses. If you want to listen to Wake, you can certainly do that. No doubt. Enjoy listening to your broadcast and uh, look forward to – having you back. Maybe we can have you back during basketball season, but thank you for everything you do. And uh, we'll talk to you again real soon. Again, thanks for your patience tonight with us. Oh, no problem. Thanks for the invite. Anytime guys. Thank you. Good night. Have a good one. All right. Good night. All right. Appreciate Stan very much as we have him on from uh, certainly uh, time to time. We'll appreciate uh, him part of the inside slant. I know he's been working very hard and basketball and football guys as basketball is around the corner. Uh, for as well for the uh, for East Carolina uh, men and women uh, so we appreciate uh, we understand what Stan is going through um, behind the scenes obviously we're not uh, part of the broadcast but we know what that uh, certainly entails you're watching and listening to the Inside Slant a weekly college football preview Bubba Rosenbaum thank you man for the hard work behind the scenes as always I know you've been working hard with uh, producing and uh, doing interviews and uh, the show is not uh, no matter what show we do uh, part of our nightly show content is never easy yeah and definitely takes a lot to put things together um last week we had an abbreviated version of the inside slant as i caught up with ben chase you know a college football fanatic a graduate of the university of florida yep. who's, who's on a quest to watch 70 or 71 games in person road tripping all the all around uh the great United States of America. You know, he's, he's been to the big house. He's been to Austin, Texas to watch Alabama and UT in week one. And he's of course been to the swamp to watch his Gators. You know, he's been to Pullman, Washington. So he's been, he's been to the Rose bowl to take in a UCLA game. Well, wow. uh, and we're definitely going to have him back as he approaches that uh, mark of 70 um, you know, he said he would love for East Carolina to be in a bowl game where he can attend. He wants to get to Dowdy Ficklin, um, probably will be unable to do so for that Houston game. But uh, he said that's on his list for the future. But um, he's going to do his best to get to the Pirates bowl game this year. And uh, we'll do our best to catch up with him if that happens. And we'll probably have him back on the show regardless. But um, but uh, if you're just tuning in, uh, we've had excellent conversations with Damien Sordelet from the News Advance, Liberty uh, Football's beat writer. Uh, he's headed out to Fayetteville, Arkansas, to cover that game between the Flames and the Razorbacks. Uh, we also caught up, uh, as you just saw, uh, it, it, unless you're just now tuning in, uh, that was, uh, of course, Stan Cotton, the longtime play-by-play voice of the Wake Forest Demon Deacons. And, and you know, prior to that, it was Sam Raz of the Scott and Holman podcast uh, talking about uh, Houston traveling to SMU this weekend to take on the Mustangs as um, the Mustangs are a three-and-a-half-point favorite over the Cougs. But, um, you know, earlier um, this afternoon, Dave, I was able to catch up with a couple of guys we've had on this show before. Um, B- Billy Embody, who, who's um, 
you know, uh, with on three, on three sports, excuse me, covering LSU as well as SMU. Uh, yep. So uh, we primarily talked LSU, Alabama, but also spent uh, two or three minutes talking about that SMU Houston game to get the SMU perspective. And we also caught up with Palmer Toms, who's also part of the On3 Sports Network uh, with Dogs HQ. Uh, he does an excellent job. And Palmer and I had a conversation uh, right around 20 minutes talking about this weekend's matchup between the hedges between number one Tennessee and number three Georgia. Um, but first, let's go to that conversation with Billy Embody as we talked uh, number six, Alabama, number 10, LSU, Saturday night at Tiger Stadium, and also SMU versus Houston. And right now on the Inside Slant, very excited to be joined from the OM3 network by uh, LSU writer as well as SMU writer, Billy Embody. Billy, we appreciate your time this evening. Anytime. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, you know, a lot of um, fantastic football has been played over the last couple of weeks by the uh, Bayou Bengals. And, you know, six and two um, ranked in the top 10. And, you know, that's a far cry from where this program was, you know, just what, eight games ago? Yeah, absolutely. It's It's been quite the run that they've gone on, you know, from the Florida State game with that kind of meltdown on special teams that, you know, looking back now that they're sitting at the, at number 10 in the college football playoff, you're a blocked field goal away and some field goal mishaps away from you know just being a one-loss team to the number one team in the country, which just like Alabama, that you know, that would be, uh, you know, where they'd be if they were, were able to kind of just protect and, and, and kick an extra point or a field goal. Um, they've improved, though, the last two games, especially, you know, Ole Miss – um, and, and Auburn just off, uh, offensive or Ole Miss and Florida games being able to move the ball at will offensively has been really impressive. Um, I, I just think they're starting to really understand what they have personnel wise, and they're starting to exploit teams because of that. Yeah, I, you look at Brian Kelly's track record. I mean, going back to his days in the Division Two ranks, I mean, he was successful at Grand Valley, then Central Michigan, Cincinnati, and obviously everything he did at Notre Dame. Um, with being uh, so consistent, even though they could not make a dent once they got to the playoffs. Uh, and I love this hiring. So, you know, as strange as the whole accent thing was, I, I'm not surprised that uh, he and this staff are having success. And I only think it's going to go up from here. Yeah. And they're, they're showing that on the recruiting trail. You know, they just picked up right before we recorded a, a four-star offensive line commit. Uh, they're really, be, you know, finding ways to, build a really good class and address needs. So they're building off the momentum that they have in the season, which you want to see if you're, you know, a coaching staff or a fan or whatever, uh, take advantage, strike while the iron's hot. And, and that's what Brian Kelly and the staff are really doing well. You take a look at uh, LSU offensively. What a season to date uh, for Jaden Daniels. You know, what he's thrown for a little over 1,800. And he's also the team's leading rusher, I believe, last time I checked, over 500 yards. So uh, just talk about the season he's had, because obviously you had the season of a few se few years ago with Joe Burrow. But outside of that, uh, there hasn't been a, a ton of stability, you know, production or consistency there at the quarterback position. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, Jaden now holds a single season rushing record for LSU as a quarterback uh, for a quarterback, which is really impressive. And that was kind of the big piece of why he won the starting job. 
you know, looking at the offensive line going into the season, they didn't really have a set five outside of left tackle Will Campbell, quite honestly. And they dealt with some injuries here and there. And now they've improved on the offensive line the last two games enough for this offense to really get going. But Jaden Daniels has been able to take off, make plays, extend, extend plays. Um, and, and that's what he brought to this offense when he got here. And when you don't have a consistent run game when you don't have consistent offensive line play, you need that sometimes. And so I think that's why he's been a huge success so far for the most part. And he's been a really good fit in this offense. Tell us about some of the skill talent around him. I mean, you see 45 points at Florida and then 45 points against Ole Miss a week ago. And so, so just, just talk about, or well, two weeks ago. So just talk about um, the way they've been playing of late. Yeah, it's really been, just like I said, just impressive. Um, They've really found ways to just grind out wins. And, you know, whether it be coming back from, you know, down, I think it was uh, 17 points to Ole Miss or starting out flat at Auburn. I mean, they have just – there's this staff, one thing that they've really done a good job of is halftime adjustments. This is a really well-conditioned team, and it's shown in the second half of – especially the last two games. And even the Tennessee game, they they fell behind early on and it ended up being a route and kind of looked in a way worse than it was. Um, but they played better in the second half. This is a team that conditioning-wise has a chance to at least play with Alabama, you know, for four quarters. It might be a talent thing where the talent discrepancy finally shows up uh, and Alabama is able to capitalize and, and move on with a win. But, you know, right now it, they're a team that, you know, gets the most out of their halftime. And I think that's an underrated piece when looking at this game. Yeah, obviously this is the, the biggest test since um, Tennessee or, you know, you know, on the season as a whole. Uh, so, you know, as you look at this matchup between the Tigers and Crimson Tide, you know, I, I think what the Tide, and depending on where you look, they're basically a two-touchdown favorite, 13 points. It seems to be the consensus. So, so how, do you, how do you see this one, you know, panning out? Yeah, this is a tough one to pick because LSU hasn't started fast. And I think that could be a really important piece to how this game goes. I, I mean, obviously, you both teams want to get out to a fast start, but I don't think LSU can have that type of a start against Alabama and and cover and and do and and have a chance kind of down the stretch of this one. And I just don't know if they can start fast. They they haven't shown the ability to, so I don't know why they would, you know, be able to flip that switch and do it against Alabama other than just, you know, you're pumped up for Alabama week and you find a way to make some plays early on and feed off the crowd and all of that. But, you know, I think Alabama probably covers um, in this one. I, I could see Alabama winning uh, 38-21, you know, LSU – does have two freshman offensive tackles. They've got to deal with Will Anderson and Dallas Turner. I think that's going to impact the game a lot. Uh, you know, the amount of pressure Alabama will probably be able to get on Jaden Daniels. Um, and I just don't think they have the consistency start to finish enough to put up the points that are probably going to be needed to deal with um, to deal with keeping up with Bryce Young. So I'm going to go Bama 38, LSU 21. I, I could see you know, LSU being a little bit more competitive in this one if they're able to get a fast start. And then you can kind of throw out the record books and, you know, forget that Nick Saban's 
six and one over his last seven against out uh, against LSU and uh, maybe Brian Kelly can kind of pull off the shocker. Yeah, I agree with you as far as them starting fast in this game um, and that being absolutely critical. Of course, you want to start fast in any game, but in, in this matchup um, after what happened against Tennessee and then even some of those games they won where they dug holes on, like, on the road at Auburn, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so th- that's going to be uh, really, really uh, interesting to keep an eye on on Saturday. Uh, kind of shifting gears, I know you also covered the SMU Mustangs. You know, tell us uh, what you can. What, what are your thoughts on this matchup with the Houston Cougars? And the uh, Ponies are three and a half point favorite. Yeah, this is a this is an interesting one as well because you know SMU has probably been hurt the most by its schedule. You have a new coaching staff. You had some missing pieces from last year's team that were key, and you had to find ways to replace them. So there was a lot of change, and then you know. Four of the first six teams you played, I believe, uh, or four of the first seven, have a combined six losses, <laughs> which is pretty unreal. Um, and so for them to, you know, be sitting at three and four entering last week, they go and get a win at Tulsa, which they hadn't done since 2009. And they were pretty much in control despite losing their starting quarterback um, and having to play a true freshman the entire second half. This week, Tanner Mordecai is back at the Reigns of the offense. He got a week of rest. He was dealing with a concussion. Looks like he'll be ready to go. He'll kind of be the X factor. In big games, he has not been able to play clean enough for SMU to win. Even when they played against Cincinnati, the one turnover he had early on in the game was what ultimately kind of cost them the game. He threw an interception, backed up against their own goal line. Defense holds, Cincinnati kicks a field goal, and they won by two. And, you know, SMU had a chance to tie it with a two-point conversion at the end uh, with Preston Stone at the helm once Tanner got hurt, but he just hasn't shown the ability to play clean enough. So Tanner Mordecai has to play a clean football game because you've got to keep up with Clayton Toon, who's playing at an insane level right now. I think as far as matchups, you know, these two teams aren't too far off base from each other athletically and uh, coaching staff wise, it's just a matter of can SMU be consistent enough executing at a high level to beat the Cougars. I don't know if they can, but part of me wants to pick SMU in this one just because they've they've been piecing things together and now they're healthy enough to have Jordan Curley back at wide receiver. The defense is healthy. They've been getting pressure on opposing quarterbacks. I would say this one's probably comes down to some a, a field goal. Quite honestly, it's going to be that close. Um, and these are two teams that are playing for the last time, you know, it seems for uh, conference bragging rights. So uh, both teams are going to be fired up. And I think we're in for a treat Saturday night. Yeah, I agree. I, the line did not surprise me considering the games in Dallas to to see SMU minus three and a half. Uh, and obviously, Houston, you know, they really turned their season around with that comeback win in the final two minutes at Memphis. And since then, they they defeated Navy 38-20 and then uh, won comfortably um, a game that was really not as close um, from what I gathered, you I know, mean, that 42-27 win over South Florida. Yeah, they've really taken off. And, and that's the thing is they're kind of peaking right now. So what type of Houston team are we going to see? Um, that'll be a question that uh, will obviously get answered on Saturday. And it's the same with SMU. What type of SMU team are you going to get? Are you going to get the one that wins the turnover battle and finds ways to make explosive plays and defensively they they get pressure on the quarterback? Or are they going to make 
ill-advised mistakes and turn the ball over and still move the ball and, and play decent defense, but it's just not game-changing plays. That's been the difference for SMU and their losses. They haven't been able to make game-changing plays uh, to take advantage of when other teams are, you know, kind of toying around with SMU still, you know, they, they don't, they don't strike while the iron's hot and, and take advantage of that, which is a concern. And this would be a heck of a week for them to start that. Yeah. Last season, you know, you look at the over under in this game is 67 a year ago, Houston won 44 to 37 at TD ECU stadium over in Houston. So, uh, so certainly should be an entertaining game and a, a quite a considerable number of points scored at Ford stadium, on Saturday night, a game that will be televised at seven o'clock Eastern on the NFL Network. So, uh, you know, Billy, before we let you get out of here, you know, tell us where you can uh, be followed on social media, and then also how they can read your work. Yeah, you can check us out at thebengaltiger.com uh, for the LSU coverage. You can subscribe for just a dollar for the entire year, so you can get that and a free Founders Club hat. And for SMU, you can check us out on theponyexpress.com, and also get a free Founders Club hat. So check us out, subscribe, and uh, would happy to be on the board uh, chatting it up with you guys. I do. As always, appreciate the time, and we look forward to having you back on down the road. Of course, anytime. Thanks for having me. And right now on the Inside Slant, very excited to be joined from Dogs HQ by Palmer Toms. Palmer, we appreciate your time. Thanks, Bubba. Yeah, it's certainly an exciting game this weekend in Athens, and uh, looking forward to being there. I, I feel privileged to be there, uh, to, to be able to cover a game like this. This is what college football is. Uh, it's, it's all about. I mean, rivalries, uh, you know, two teams that, that share a border, um, you know, two fan bases that, that don't love each other, but, but, you know, are interacting with each other constantly. So, you know, you're, you're going to have a little bit of trash talk this week, uh, you know, and, and ultimately two great teams that'll that'll go out on the field and decide it and what I hope and what I think will be a great game. Yeah, you see the resurgence not only of uh, Tennessee, but the SEC East um, you know, with with Tennessee being relevant. It's been such a long time uh, that the SEC East has garnered so much attention in comparison to the to the West. Obviously, the East has been dominated by the dogs, but uh you know, as you really dive into this matchup, you know, you start you know, this week, you have the initial college football playoff rankings, Tennessee, obviously, number one at eight. No. And then the dogs, number three at eight. No. Um, but the dogs are an eight point favorite in this one. Yeah, it's it's an interesting dynamic there um, because you are seeing really the two number one ranked teams in the country. And that sounds weird just to hear. But, um, you know, you've, you've got the two the. Georgia that is ranked number one in the AP and coaches poll. And then this initial college football playoff poll, they like to do things a little bit differently. It was not a surprise for me to see Tennessee one um, just based on the resume that they have. They've, they've got probably the most impressive win on the season over Alabama. Um, the, and then overall, you know, they've got a win over an LSU team that the college football playoff committee values and ranks very highly. Um, you know, that that being on the road, that's better than anything else Georgia has. Uh, you know, they've got a Kentucky win against a Kentucky team that was ranked going into that matchup, um, you know, and, and is probably just on the outside looking in in the college football playoff rankings. So, you know, that that's probably better than Georgia's third best win. 
Um, you know, Pitt is on the road early in the season. That's a good win for Tennessee. Uh, you know, that both these teams have Florida wins. Um, so it was not surprising to me to see Tennessee at one. What probably was a little bit more surprising was that we didn't see Georgia at two. Uh, and, and I said it on our podcast last night, the, the Georgia show. Um, why, if, if this game had been on ESPN as opposed to CBS, I bet you we would have seen uh, Georgia in that number two slot there, uh, considering the college football playoff uh, and, and ESPN's ties together. Uh, bet we would have seen a one-two matchup there. But regardless, we are seeing an incredible game this weekend. And yeah, it is interesting that um, you know the, the team that is ranked higher in the poll that really matters is, is an eight-point underdog. And, and I think that says a lot about what Georgia has done uh, not only this year, but but also building that reputation where Vegas is going to factor that in. Um, home field advantage in this game, San, playing this game at Sanford Stadium is a huge advantage for Georgia. I would not feel nearly as confident about the Bulldogs if they were playing in Knoxville in Neyland Stadium. Uh, so that all that kind of factors in. And, and I think that Vegas also sees Georgia as a very balanced team, uh, a balanced attack that, that can – Go toe to toe with Tennessee um, on on both sides of the ball. Uh, you know, go toe to toe on offense with, with you know Tennessee's powerful attack, but you know counter that with an, a, a really strong defense so far. And then you know when you flip it to the other side of the game, and, and Georgia's got the ball and Tennessee's on defense. Well, the Bulldogs have a pretty strong offense too. So I think Vegas sees that that balanced attack that Georgia has sees that home field advantage. And that's kind of why you're seeing the resulting line of, of eight, eight and a half, what would nine, I think it opened as high as, you know, double digits. Yeah. Like you, I'm not necessarily surprised with that line uh, considered the games in Athens. And then, you know, you also, you know, look at some of the variables in this matchup that Tennessee's new to the, the party, so to speak. And uh, yes, they have had an excellent year and, and undoubtedly a tremendous football team, but um, still certainly some things to prove while Georgia, you know, has been there and done that, won a national title, you know, played for multiple titles. And one of the things that jumps off the page at this matchup um, is obviously Tennessee's high-flying offense, Hendon Hooker, 21 touchdowns, just a single interception, and um, he can also hurt you with his legs. He has um, – generated or led an offense that has generated you know nearly 44 points per game in SEC play uh, meanwhile this Georgia defense is allowing less than 12 points per game in SEC play um, it's going to be a fun matchup yeah I mean and I mean you're seeing the probably you know I know Illinois got a claim a stake to the claim of uh of the best defense in college football but you know, o- over the last several years, Georgia has built that. And, you know, to, to do what they're doing defensively this year after losing what they lost defensively last year is is absolutely insane. Um, you know, they, they were av- they are, on the season last year, they averaged 10.2 points per game on the season this year through eight games. They're averaging 10.5 points per game. Uh, so, you know, to, to be able to to continuously year after year put up those kind of numbers uh, speaks to what Kirby Smart has done on the recruiting trail to create a culture of defense. 
um, and and they're going up against a, an offensive-minded team, an offensive-minded head coach, and, and Josh Heupel, uh, somebody that that has sparked you know some energy in Knoxville with that kind of an offense. So uh, to me, I think that's a huge matchup in this game. You know, how can Georgia, um, you know, how can Georgia affect Hendon Hooker? How can they, uh, you know, make his day, make him uncomfortable? Um, especially without an, an edge rusher, the sack leader, the, the tackle for loss leader uh, is in, in Nolan Smith. Um, you know, I think it's huge to have Jalen Carter back in this game, um, you know, back at full health or, or as close to it as, as possible. He looked pretty healthy to me last week against Florida, played 20 snaps against the Gators there. Uh, but we were told that he was quote unquote limited. If that's limited, I don't know what an unlimited Jalen Carter looks like. Um, but he is he is one heck of a player there in the middle on that defensive line. Um, probably not the, the the true nose technique that, that you saw last year in uh, in, in Jordan Davis, uh, but but an, an incredible athlete there that can do play any position on that defensive line. And I think that's huge for Georgia. Um, I, I'm going to have a story coming out tomorrow on Dogs HQ um, with previewing Jalen Carter's impact. Um, and, and just looking at the, the quarterback pressure rates and the uh, QB hurries and stuff, he's got 11 on the season, and he's really only played in two games. I mean, 50 snaps in two games. Um, his snap total in the other, um, let's see, he played Samford, South Carolina, did not play against Kent State, Missouri. And then so the, in the other three games that he's played, uh, the snap counts very limited, probably don't even touch the 20 that he had. This past Saturday, uh, so if it really he's he's played in two games, eleven quarterback hurries. Uh, Georgia's next closest people are, you know, sixteen was the the team leader in Nolan Smith, thirteen from Jamon Dumas Johnson and and Michael Williams. But those guys had seven, eight games to do it. We're talking about a Jalen Carter that has had two essentially two games to do it, maybe three if you want to, you know, add up all the snaps that he played in the other games. Uh, so. T- that is a huge factor in this game, having a healthy Jalen Carter uh, to be able to to impact and, and affect uh, Hennon Hooker. Defensively, obviously, one of the major things you have to contend with when you're playing Tennessee is that tempo. Um, it's one of the major variables that makes their offense what it is. Uh, so what has Kirby Smart and this defensive staff you know, ha- had to say about uh, how fast Tennessee plays? Yeah, I mean it's it's something that they worked on in the offseason. It's you know, we we heard it during fall camp. We were standing outside of practice and waiting to go in and and uh heard Tennessee or heard Kirby over the microphone yelling, Tennessee's going fast, Tennessee's going fast. So this has been something that's been on their radar for a long time. Uh this team particularly since since August, but also these coaches, the, the tempo that they went with last year. Um, you know, that the, it's on their radar. They know they know how fast this Tennessee team goes. Um, so, you know, I, it has been something that they've prepared for. Um, you know, I think that what they're going to have to do is, is they're going to have to commit to a to commit to a, uh, you know, playing package, um, you know, and, and sub when only when Tennessee subs, because you can't try and sub on the fly. Um, you know, get in a passing group and a passing down, get in a rushing group for a rushing down. You're going to have to stick to the guys. So they're going to have to find their best 11 to put out there against Tennessee's best 11. And and when Tennessee wants to sub, you you sub right there with them and get those fresh legs on the field. So 
I mean, you know, what I, I, I talked to our on three writer at Alabama, Clint Lamb, um, you know, and he told me that what t- Tennessee did so well in that game was that they kept Alabama's defense off balance there when they were in a run package, uh, you know, in a, in a you know, a down, a, you know, third and short, second and short, whatever, a down that you might think is run heavy, Tennessee's going to throw the ball on them. And, and create those mismatches that way. And then vice versa with the passing downs. You know, they get in a third and long, and, and Bama goes to a dime or a nickel package uh, and, and you know, thinking, hey, let's protect against the pass. Well, Tennessee is going to run the ball on them. And, and they've got a lot of space to do that with how wide of splits they create with those wide receivers. Um, they, they certainly keep you off balance on defense. And I think that's why Kirby Smart and this Georgia grouping is, is going to have to commit to its best eleven. Uh, you know, whatever package they feel like they can best defend the run and the pass in, they're going to stick to that. And and to me, I think that's the the the, the uh, nickel package. So taking a look at some of the um, the matchups, you talk about uh, Tennessee's you know explosiveness in terms of some of their personnel, like Jalen Hyatt, forty five catches for in excess of nine hundred yards and fourteen touchdowns here, eight games into the season, and then on um, the the dynamic duo at running back was small and right right yeah I mean I, I think that that Tennessee offense those players in particular um, you know do things incredibly well um, you know they, they, they don't do a ton but what they do they do uh, you know at, at an elite level um, so you know I, I think that uh, you know the, the way that they space things out they put those wide receivers on an island with those corners and you know, make you play, uh, you know, make you commit to that, to, to coverage there. Um, you know, if you want to bring over safety help, well, that, that opens things up in the middle, uh, you know, where they already have a ton of space and it's already opened up just by the nature of their formation. Uh, it opens things up to the run game and, and takes away a run support defender and puts them out nearly on the sidelines, uh, you know, t- to defend against the pass. So, um, you know, Jalen Hyatt, Brew McCoy, Cedric Tillman, Ramel Keaton, they've got a long list of, of receivers that can make an impact. Georgia's going to have to get great play out of their defensive backs. Keely Ringo is going to have to play one of the best games of his career. Um, you know, he, he's, he's been maybe a little bit sla- lacking a little bit this year. Um, you know, I think everyone thinks of Keely Ringo and thinks of his, his, you know, interception return, the pick six in the national championship. And rightfully so, that's what he's going to be remembered in Athens for forever. Uh, but he's he, he's going to have to play incredibly well. Can't give up a blown coverage. He's he's had a couple of mistimed jumps this the last couple of weeks. Um, you know where he has given up a, a longer play. Um, you know can't really afford to do that against this Tennessee offense. And Kirby said, you know, hey, y'all see that? That's just the, the nature of his position. You see him make those plays. You don't see the other. You know. 50, 60, 70, 80% of the time that he's got his man locked down because the ball doesn't go his way and, and your attention doesn't turn that way. So he's going to have to play great. You've got Kamari Lassiter opposite of him that's a young corner, uh, never has faced a challenge like this. He's going to have to play great. Uh, if, if he doesn't, they're going to turn, they'll, they'll likely turn to Dalen Everett. Would not surprise me if they had Dalen Everett in there from the get-go and, and decided to play uh, with, with Lassiter in there in the slot corner a little bit. Um, Javon Bullard is, is a slot corner that has played the, that star position very well. They mixed things up at the star position last year because they realized how much help they needed. And so they may do that from the get go. And then you've got two great safeties with, with Chris Smith, a, a veteran back there that 
you know, played a big role last year in this game. Uh, plus a plus a true freshman in Malachi Starks that has played a big role for this Georgia defense all along. I think that they've got the run support in the middle with guys like Jermon Dumas Johnson, Smile Munden, Jalen Carter, like I mentioned, uh, where the, the, the attention for me is put on those defensive backs. Um, can Georgia limit the run and, and take away the Tennessee run game and make this pass, this offense one-dimensional? Uh, that's the way they did it last year, and, and it certainly worked out well. When Tennessee um, picked up those biggest wins um, thus far, obviously, at LSU and then Alabama in back-to-back weeks, the Vols had two and three touchdown leads, you know, no more than 15 minutes into the game and, um, you know, had at least three touchdowns on the board and had generated turnovers and created a lot of chaos. So, you know, what has been, um, you know, kind of the the talk there in the, the Georgia camp, I mean, as far as, you know, really making sure, and this goes without saying, obviously in any football game you want to get off to a great start, but it's even more critical against Tennessee, you know, when uh, you see what they've done early in games against quality competition. Yeah, I mean, it certainly is important that, that Georgia comes to play and comes to play early. Um, you know, like you said, that that LSU game in particular, uh, that that you know, when when you want to talk about this game versus you know, let's say the Alabama game, well, the biggest difference there is that Alabama was playing at home, or excuse me, that Tennessee was playing again at home against Alabama, had the crowd on their side. Uh, they, they're not going to have the crowd on their side this Saturday. Um, so you know, the 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 comparison that you can make there is to that LSU game. Well, that LSU crowd was taken out of it probably before they a lot of them could get even get in the game because like you said uh you know that they, they were up early so quickly muffed the opening kickoff turned into Tennessee points went three and out I believe and then that turned into Tennessee points so it's 14 nothing in the blink of an eye um well Georgia on the other hand has not allowed a first quarter touchdown this year I if if they don't allow a first quarter touchdown on Saturday they are in a prime position to be winning this ball game uh, so I do think that this game is going to be decided early and, uh, you know, listen to a conversation of some folks debating, hey, does, does if Georgia wins the toss, do they take the ball? Do they want to get that points on the board early and, and, and establish themselves? I don't think so. I think that with Kirby Smart being a defensive minded coach, he's going to tr- trust his defense out there, uh, but also understands that the, the, the value of being able to double up at, at, at halftime, you know, at the end of that second quarter and the start of the third. Uh, so, it, it, but that's certainly interesting to watch because I do think that there is a huge emphasis on the first quarter in this game, starting quickly uh, and 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 you know getting out to a comfortable lead or or getting out to any sort of lead in this game. I don't know that there is a comfortable lead in this game with with how good Tennessee's offense has been, and uh, you know even if you're Tennessee, I don't know that you can ever be comfortable uh, playing against a team of Georgia's caliber on on the road. Uh, so do you think that there's going to be a big emphasis on starting fast and, and starting strong uh, and, and certainly interested to see how that one plays out? Yeah, and along those lines, you know, getting off to that strong start, you know, and with, with Edwards McIntosh and the way Georgia likes to obviously run the football. Um, so very interested to see how Tennessee holds up in the trenches. They've actually held up better than I would have guessed in those other games, but then also, you know, I mentioned the early deficits and, you know, you know, you had what Bryce Young throw for 450 plus yards. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Tennessee's run defense is, is top 10 in the country, but I don't know how much teams are having to run against them or, or getting to run against them because they're having to pass because they are down early. So 
Um, you know, that, that, that stat, I do think that they are good at defending the run. I don't know that they are elite at defending the run, and I don't know that they've played a run game quite like the one that Georgia has to offer. Um, you know, Kenny McIntosh, Dejan Edwards, um, Kendall Milton, if he's healthy, Branson Robinson, they, they, they go four deep at running back and they feel confident in all four of them. Uh, the running backs have been playing their best games here of late. The, the offensive line has had a chip on their shoulder. Um, really going back to that, uh, you know, second half of the Missouri game, uh, Georgia did not play well in that first half. The offensive line was a huge problem for them, created the, 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 de- the deficit that Georgia faced uh, and, and had to di- help them dig out of that hole. Well, they turned to the run game. They, they got it going. Then they come back the next week against, uh, against Auburn and they keep it going. And then they come back against Vanderbilt and they keep it going and they kept it going this past Saturday against Florida. So that has become an identity of this offense. Georgia still passes the ball more than they throw it, excuse me, throw is it more than they run it. Um, but I do think that there is a lot of confidence in this run game, uh, especially when you're lacking guys on the outside that are explosive. Uh, you've, you've got two incredible pass targets in, in Darnell Washington and, and Brock Bowers, uh, but, but I don't know how explosive you think that they are. Uh, you don't have an A.D. Mitchell. Um, you, know, you, you don't have a George Pickens. Um, you know, Mitchell being out and Pickens being in the NFL. Georgia has lacked an explosive playmaking wide receiver. Uh, it's a problem. It's one that they're trying to address in recruiting. Uh, and they've certainly got a lot of recruits on hand this weekend. So they would love to, uh, you know, get to bring in a couple of those guys to, uh, you know, fix, solve, help solve the problems that they've got at wide receiver. Um, they feel good. I wouldn't say that they feel great about that wide receiver group. Lad McConkey, Kyrus Jackson, um, A.D. Mitchell, if he's healthy, they, they would feel a lot better. Uh, but he has not been healthy since uh, the game two of the season. As always, Palmer, appreciate the time. It's going to be a heck of a matchup on Saturday afternoon between the hedges. You know, before we let you go, tell folks how they can follow your work on uh, Dogs HQ and so forth. Yeah, at Palmer Toms on Twitter, uh, at Dogs HQ is our site account. And um, yeah, feel free to please come check us out. Uh, we got a special run in this week, uh, $1 for a whole year of Dogs HQ coverage. So you can get our premium recruiting content, premium game preview stuff. Uh, We've got some free stuff as well. Um, So please just encourage you to come check us out. Give us a chance. Give us a try. And uh, we hope that you uh, will enjoy. So um, dogshq.com in the On3 network. All right, the Inside Slant, a weekly college football preview as we do it each and every Thursday night. Thank you so much for being a part. If you're live or, of course, if you're watching on archives, uh, you can do that on our YouTube channel. Uh, like our Subscribe to our YouTube channel, like our Facebook page, and you can sign up for the alerts there and know every time we have all our great nightly programming, daily programming as well. Uh, by the way, tomorrow, one of my favorite shows of the week is Bubba's. It's called uh, Pirate's Life for Me. Tomorrow, he has the captain. And I'm talking about Shane Carton, and that'll be tomorrow right here on the Sports Objective. Thanks for all our great sponsors, and uh, enjoy a week of college football. Pirates are, of course, off. They'll be next Friday night on the road, as you probably know, at Nippert Stadium, and that's against the Cincinnati Bearcats. I'm Dave Rich with all our great guests. Thanks to our very own Bubba Rosamom. He's been working very hard, as you know, daily on our shows, including this one, the Inside Slant. 
Bubba brother. Thank you so much for all you do. Until next time, this has been the Inside Slant, a weekly college football preview right here on the Sports Objective. Good night, everybody. And as always, go Pirates.